Welcome to Gatekeeper, a podcast about booking from the bookers and gatekeepers who decide who's in, who's out. Also, there's other stuff. And now your host of Gatekeeper, artistic director of the Hollywood Improv, Jamie Flam. Welcome to Gatekeeper. My name is Jamie Flam, and today we're coming to you live from the Big Easy. A little town that we know of as New Orleans, or as the locals call it, New Orleans. This little mecca is the home to all sorts of things that we know and love, including great jazz music, uh, gumbo, and the world-famous Mr. B's Barbecue Shrimp. Speaking of the Big Easy, there's nothing easy, as we all know at this point, about creating art and being productive and making it in this crazy world of entertainment and comedy and whatever whatever else you're doing. Life, life is tough. Well, I was excited to have the conversation you're about to hear with a man named Chris True, who, amongst many other things, created the New Movement Theater, which is an amazing improv theater in New Orleans and Austin, Texas. He's the host and creator of the Air Sex Championships. And he started the Hell Yes Fest, a great comedy festival in New Orleans. Oh, and speaking of New Orleans, look who's rolling in right now. It's Adbot, everyone. Say what's up, Adbot. Hey, ow! Adbot, Adbot, what are you doing? What are you throwing at me? There beads, Jimmy. Don't show me your tits. Adbot. I'm not... I, why are you throwing beads at me? Bourbon Street, baby. Do I, show me your tits. I will not show you my tits, Adbot. Do we even have an ad today, or are you just coming here to see some tits? We have an ad, Jamie. The ad is your tits. My tits are not for sale. Have you been drinking, Adbot? Just a couple sips, officer. You can't hold me down. Show me your tits. Take your beads and get out of here, Adbot. This could have ended a lot sooner if you'd shown me your tits. Adbot, what did you eat? Fuck you, man. Fuck you, man. All right. Enjoy this conversation with Chris Drew. Gatekeeper. Welcome to Gatekeeper. My name is Jamie Flam. I'm joined by Chris Drew. Hey, y'all. Hey, Chris. How are you? I'm so good. Thrilled to be here. This is like when I'm listening to one of my favorite basketball podcasts, and then the athlete is like, tells the podcast host how much they listen to it. And the podcast host is like, what? Listen to my podcast? I mean, that's how I feel right now. I feel like I'm on one of my favorite podcasts. I'm excited. No, I appreciate it. I mean, I, I do this podcast uh, to connect with people. Yeah. And so when I hear that it is, it's even better. And of course, uh, I'm excited to have you. you. You're a gatekeeper in many different realms. And I would love to talk about I mean, just let's, let's lay it all out. Let's lay everything out and then, then we'll, we'll backtrack. Let's do it. I'm into that. We'll um, do what? The, what do chefs do? Deconstruct. We'll deconstruct. And in improv, there's a lot of deconstruction. Chris, true. Um, at the top of the list, what would you put at the top of the list of your? Ooh, job I think titles? it's a head-to-head battle between. Uh, I'm the host and the commissioner of the Air Sex Championships, but I also run a comedy theater called the New Movement that's located in downtown Austin, Texas, as well as in New Orleans. So those are my two, those are the two big things right now. And of course I, I do stand up and improv and sketch. And you rap? 
done some rapping in my time. That stuff is a little bit on the back burner yeah, right yeah. now. But uh, yeah, I've, I have cut three albums, Jamie Flan. That's yeah. amazing. And Hell Yes Fest, that's a big one. Yes, that's a very big one. Hell Yes Fest is is the comedy festival that New Orleans has deserved for a really long time. I think a bunch of people working really hard on that. But that's every October. We just did our fourth Hell Yes Fest. And the lineup was incredible. Lineup was so good. It yeah. was so good. So it's safe to say you're the gatekeeper or a prominent gatekeeper in, in the world of New Orleans and Austin and air sex. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I'm definitely the gatekeeper for air sex. <laughs> How does one get into air sex? Well, and this specific, tell us what air sex is. <laughs> sure. Well, air sex is like, think about a sketch comedy show where where the premise was the same for everything and it was set to music. The premise being, how do you have sex? So people come in costume and character, they pick a stage name, a song choice, and we usually have a panel of comedians or people from the sex world who are uh, who give them feedback, kind of like American Idol style. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the night, someone is crowned that city's air sex champion. And at the end of the year, we fly in the best of the best down to Austin, Texas, where air sex started back in 2007. And we have a national championship. This is like a sanctioned big time sport. And and that's I mean, that's air sex in a nutshell. And we that's why I'm in town right now doing air sex over at the satellite. Has and anyone ever done air sex in a nutshell? Ooh, probably. Probably. If not, I think that's a quick way to your heart. I that that's a very quick way to my heart. I'm super into that. <laughs> so yeah, air, I mean air sex is probably the biggest the biggest thing. I've got going right now, career-wise. We just shot a TV show that we're hoping to sell. We There's a movie out about air sex, and we were fortunate enough to get some GQ coverage last mm. year. So air sex is a good, fun, weird show. And you're, you're in LA for that right now? Yes, sir. Tonight? Tonight. This will air next week or the week after. So. Sorry, y'all. If you got a time machine, head back to the satellite. Or if you have a YouTube machine, just look us up on YouTube. Oh, that's another good way of doing it. Yeah. Well, okay. So the championships are in Austin. Yes, sir. So let's go back to Austin. Is that, what, is that where you're born and raised? No, I'm a New Orleans boy. Oh, New Orleans first. I'm a New Orleans Got boy it. through and through. The new movement started there. Well, it's, it's confusing because from New Orleans, but I ended up in Austin after Hurricane Katrina. Ended up opening up the new movement there after a couple of, you know, of, of, falling down, getting back up type of things. And then the game plan was to move back to New Orleans to do it there. And so that's what we did. And so how did you get into comedy? Go way back. Go way back. Give it, give us the everything. Yeah. Okay. So I, I was a big state fan, you know, the, the Michael Showalter, Mike Lee and Black, oh, that, sure. those guys. And then Silfo and Ollie. Sure. I think Silfo and Ollie was the thing for me in high school that was like, oh, you don't, like you can do anything as long as you think it's funny. Mm-hmm. And so that was super inspiring. So that's what, you know, that, 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 that's the thing that led me into like organizing my friends and making videos and then playing the videos at parties and then mm-hmm. throwing parties to show our videos and then just kind of evolving Were they sock puppets? We did some sock puppet stuff, but it was a mixture of you know, a little bit of Tom Green, a little bit of Silfo and Ollie type sure, stuff. Sure. Uh, Cause that was the, you know, that this was nineties. This was late nineties. Yeah. 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 And then I didn't actually get up on stage and do comedy for a long time because I was a, I was a bit of a coward. Well, I think the thing I mean, you're everyone, a coward. Yeah. <laughs> I think everyone goes through Everyone's a coward when they're a teen, right? I think so. I think so. Except for bully assholes. 
They're not cowards. No. They could, they become cowards later. Yes. That's true. Then went to college, had a sketch comedy show on Tiger TV at LSU, and then started doing improv and sketch and then just kept doing it. Never stopped. Never stopped. And then, and at what point were you like, I want, I mean, career wise, cause there is a point as in, as an artist where you're like, okay, how do I make money? Right. And what was that next step? What did that look like? Well, I spent a ton of money of my own money doing improv and sketch comedy festivals in you know, in the mid two thousands and I got hooked and then it was like, well, I'm out of money and I still want to keep doing this. So then how do you get paid to do these things? And in improv festivals, it's typically you got, you go and you teach. If you have something to, to, to share, then you can get booked as a, as a headliner mm-hmm. or a sub headliner and get to do some workshops, teach some intensives. So then I did a lot of that. I kind of went, I kind of went to the lab and, uh, and was like, what are, what are my philosophies? And not just me, also uh, Tammy Nelson, who co-owns the new movement with myself. We kind of went to the lab and was like, what's our philosophies on improv? What do we think we have that is unique? And took a break from festivals because we didn't know, we, you know, we had nothing to offer, so to speak. But then it cut to a few years later and like we opened up a conservatory and we just kept hustling and that was what that was what was paying the bills pretty much was teaching improv and then going to festivals and then teaching comedy at these festivals and um or you know I, I did a lot of stuff that was like that was like i will come to your festival just put me in a hotel room and i will work hard for for the money so if you don't have it in your budget to pay me out right mm-hmm. i'll teach i'll teach 8 hours of workshops over 3 days stuff like that i mean we talk about it with comedians as well as like um obviously I talk about the West Side Eclectic, you know, I offered to work for free and ultimately, you know, the owner told me that was the reason he didn't, he did pay me, but um, it was that passion and you want people at your festival or at your club or wherever you are that are willing to make sacrifices. Right, right. So what was your philosophy? So the new movement, um, what, what, what was, what did you guys, you and Tammy bring to the table? So we, I think one of the things that, that, that we really, that we were really into was the idea of not shying away. This was for comedy, which sounds weird, but a lot of improv school thought is it's not about being funny. It's about finding the honesty and it's Mm -hmm. about like, don't go for the joke. And I know why that is a thing because if you exclusively go for the joke and you're not listening to your scene partner, that's bad. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, we were like, we are doing this to sell tickets to do comedies or like, right. so how can we, how can we maneuver this without, without it being, without it feeling too jokey, but also not ignoring that. Yes, this is supposed to be a comedy show. So coming up with techniques that kind of let us, let us down that path and trying to, trying to, and I love my improv people out there. Uh, I mean, I'm an improv guy at my core, but trying to, uh, trying to de nerd, <laughs> improv while keeping nerds and improv. I know. Right. But just trying to make it as cool as possible while at the same time, not talking about making it cool. Cause that's super uncool. So it's, it's been challenging, but there, I think there are some things that, that we've had some success with. Um, I think the biggest one is our improv groups at the new movement. We don't take suggestions before shows, which is just a kind of a way to make our, to make our style stand out a little bit more because we also found that most improvisers aren't really using the suggestion. It's like mm-hmm. a dirty secret that no one really talks about. You know, it's like. They go from A to C to X. Yeah. Or, you know, people, they, they take a suggestion to prove, you know, quote unquote, to prove that it's improvised. Right. 
when when there's very few improv formats that are truly reliant upon the suggestion. People are pulling from their everyday experiences. They're pulling from whatever they come up with in the moment. And so we're just like, let's just do that all the time and not worry about the suggestion. So just organic opening or... We just go. We, I mean, typically, a, a, a typical opening line at the new movement is, you know, hi, we are, you know, insert team name here, and we're going to do a show for you when the lights come up. Lights go down, they come up. Someone does a physical initiation, like we'll be opening a jar, and then someone will go verbal, and then we just treat that moment like, like that's what the scene's about, and we just go from there. Opening a jar is, it's a classic. It's a classic, and it brings the house down every single time. Just the jar opening. Just the jar opening. We also teach jar opening workshops. That's the, that's the best. That's really how I make my money. By 16 weeks it's, of just jar opening. Yeah, 16 weeks, and there's a two-month run of a show afterwards. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like We're called do, a jar. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, stirring a pot, another classic. Yeah, we have to bring in people from from out of town for that. Sure. Yeah, that's a master class. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so you start teaching these classes, right? right. People are starting to come to the shows. People come to the shows and you are, uh, you are doing what you're just, or you're improvising your life and your career at this point. Yeah. I mean, we, we pretty much stumbled into opening a theater. I mean, if you, if you would have asked me in you know 2004, what do I want to do? I would have just said, I would have said, I don't know if I want to be doing comedy, but then cut to two years later. And it was like, I'm, I'm running a venue. I'm opening up a theater. So I kind of stumbled into it the same way a lot of comedians stumble into running their own show for either because there's some money involved in it or because they're sick of the way they were treated on someone else's show or whatever the thing is kind of the same thing happened with us, but with a venue and we did, uh, we made a lot of mistakes, which is cool. And, uh, but we just hung on and kind of dug the idea of running a venue what um what was the competition or was there any was there another improv school slash theater at this point? Well, in 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 Austin, there's a lot right now. There's a lot of there's a lot of theaters that broke off from other theaters. So so in Austin, if no one ever fought ever, there would be two theaters. Mm-hmm. But there's six right now. So you're All, advocating violence. The more y'all fight, <laughs> the more venues there will be. Um, no, the, the, in New Orleans though, there's, there's, no, there's nothing else. There's a lot of pretty good indie shows all around town, but there's no, there's no full-time spot. Like it's just us, which is cool. But I also, I also like the idea of there being other things that, you know, competition is good and also it builds community. Totally. Yeah. So talk about building community, which I mean, that's the most, I think, rewarding part of being involved in all these theaters for me over the years. Would you agree? Oh, for sure. I, I think that that's a big, that's a really big part of, of what the new movement's about. I mean, we, we find every excuse to celebrate something like we, we, we keep meticulous track of all show and troop anniversaries. And, you know, we are celebrating, we're celebrating everything because that it just builds that, that familiar feeling. And I, I would say that's, that's the most important thing that we do really. And you know, the, the exciting part is, is watching, uh, organically how, you know, I'm sure the theater, what it is now is not even close to what you thought it was going to be 10 years ago, let alone a year. And then, and watching all these different spaces I've been at, like when different people start working with each other and then they see this show that inspires this idea and, and seeing how all that comes So It's, it's the best. Yeah. I love it. I, it's, I get, I get asked a lot, like, like, do you realize how, like, like how, how cool this world is. And I, I 
Tammy too, and so is Brock. Brock Laborde, a guy who also um, co-owns the theater with us, and everyone at the top of who's booking stuff, our big staff. I think we're all pretty good at stepping back and being like, "This is awesome." You know, we're not I mean, we're all workaholics. You know, we 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 bust our ass, but we're also very good at at being like, "This is great." How cool is this? We, like I said, we celebrate a lot. I think it's our southern southern nature. No, I love celebrating yeah. myself and the <laughs> things I do. <laughs> what um. So how do you get people and how do you build awareness for these communities? Is it all word of mouth? Are you advertising and marketing like crazy? It's mostly word of mouth, but we, but we, we hustle a lot. I mean, there, there's, there's a book I read a long time ago. I, I think it's called something about the power of free or the free or the free economy or something like that. But it was just like told the story about that. Uh, there's a razor company. What was that big story? They gave out razors for free, then sold the shaving cream later. I forget what it was. I'm getting it. I'm getting it backwards probably. But I guess got really into like, what if we just took a year and just gave out our best stuff for free, mm-hmm. held on, hoped that we survived, and then and then just did more of it, but started the charge for it. But keeping some keeping that free culture still as well. And so that's how the new movement started with, with, we did a free, our big thing was every Wednesday. Cause no one in Austin at the time had like a Wednesday thing. Mm-hmm. Cause I mean, in these smaller scenes, I mean, in LA and Chicago, New York, there's giant shows happening all the time. But I think in these smaller scenes, it's about like, what is the thing to do on this night? What's right. the thing that everyone wishes they were on, on this night? And in Austin, there was Wednesday was kind of dead, a dead night for comedy. So we were like, let's do a free class every Wednesday. Let's do a free show every Wednesday. And then let's make sure that everyone's partying every Wednesday. And so we just did that for a really long time. And so we just built this vibe around Wednesdays. And then we started doing it on Thursdays. And then we started doing it, you know, then we started charging for shows on Friday and Saturday. When you can't get into the show on Wednesday, you got to come on Friday and Saturday, you know, basic stuff like that. But that was a big part of building, building community. And I mean, there's old pictures of, of packed audiences at the new movement from like 2009, 2010, that you can see people who are currently like on our staff who Mm -hmm. used to, who, who would say, oh, my introduction to this was I used to go there every Wednesday. And now they're teaching improv classes with us and they're going on tours with us or whatever. And that's really, really sweet, I think. And what is for you, um, and I don't know, I mean, I'm sure it's, it exists in any sort of theater environment, um, but how do you have a place that's quote unquote cool, that's teaching funny, that also can be inclusive? Um, you know, is there like a, a, a rigorous uh, you know, training system where you're, you can't make it to the next level? How does that work? For, for new movement? Well, we don't hold people back in our classes unless, un, well, unless there's a serious, a serious issue. Like we, we felt people back who just don't understand that they cannot be misogynistic or mm. who just do not understand that the way they're making people feel is uncomfortable. There's been stuff like that, sure. but, but we're lucky that there's been very little of that. And we usually nip it. Um, but everything else, I mean, it's just kind of like the people who worked work hard, get to, get to play hard. And we've been very, I think we've been very careful and cool with how we curate our lineups for things. Mm-hmm. And the bigger we get, the more challenging that is for sure. But I think we're still at a point where it's like, it makes sense. Like if, you, if, if you look at, if you ask people from our theater who are actively involved, why these other people are getting these opportunities, they would say, oh, because they put in the time and they're super talented. I think that we, we're, 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 we've got a good system going with mm-hmm. that. And that leads kind of to the this podcast gatekeeper, 
you being that, how do you, how does that affect you in your daily life? When, how many students um, or people would you say are in your community? In Austin right now, there's probably uh, 200, 250 active people who are currently in classes doing things and, and plus not counting alumni and whatnot. Uh, but I mean, we, we just keep open communication. We are, the people at the top are very accessible. Mm-hmm. You know, we're starting to push things more often. Like, like the guy who books our shows has office hours. Mm. That's the thing that's going to be happening in the new year. So it's like, if you, if you want to go talk to him or her about why, why you got, why you didn't get a show or why you weren't part of it, you can just go and talk to them. Kind of stuff like wow, that. Wow. That's very innovative. And it's I don't scary. know how, it is scary. I don't, I don't, and I don't know how, how successful it's going to be. Like, I, I, I kind of think that we're, people aren't going to take advantage of it for a little while, but we want to be able to offer stuff like that. And I think, yeah. I think that's key. Just being open. And I mean, I, I understand why you couldn't do that at a place like the improv. Well, now I've been thinking like to have it at least have it, you know, um, designated at one time could take some pressure off. So you can always be like, you can come on Tuesdays at two. Exactly. Um, when I'm hit up every you know inch of this place that I happen to be. Right. Um, that's interesting. You have to let me know how that works out. I will. I will. But I know that everyone appreciates that. And, and for better or worse, I've tried to be as transparent and available as possible. Yeah. Um, but you know, it can be a lot. So I'm wondering for you, like when people are like, Oh, that's the guy that runs the place. He's the one that can get me on the big team. Like, do you feel that energy? Like somewhat, but, but I think I can diffuse any, any weirdness that may come along with that by, by just being as active in the community as I possibly can, you know, like, mm-hmm. like even though I'm one of the people running the place, I'm also at the parties with them. And, uh, you know, I'm, 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 I'm not, I'm not, I'm not inaccessible when it comes to like being in their shows. I mean, whenever I go to Austin, I try to be in as many shows as possible of, of for new groups that, that have, if it's a format where you could have someone sit in mm-hmm. just so I can hang with them and just be, and, and get to know, get to know them better. It just, just, just being really accessible and just trying to be as open-minded as possible. I think it's gotten as far. I know it's challenging to keep that up and that's our biggest, I think our biggest challenge is making sure that the next people who are, we, we, who we're hiring for staff, that they also do that, mm-hmm. which that's, that's hard to do, especially in a place like Austin, where there are so many opportunities all over the city, because it's Austin's one of those places where it's like, it's like people are having a hard time figuring out, do you want to do two things a week that are really good? Or do you want to do 10 things a week that are maybe not so good? Right. And, and so the people that are trying to do everything while also trying to trying to lead things that can be comp- that can be challenging but yeah you know, i just opened up like five new doors in this conversation jamie i know i'm trying to uh navigate which one we laid it all out in the line just like you said well here's what's uh, interesting to me and i haven't even thought about it until right now but um you know the dynamics of you know an improv theater and even to a certain extent the stand-up scenes in new orleans and austin versus la where I'm sure there's a much different mentality and here there, there's so much more maybe egoically as far as this isn't just, you want stage time or you want um, to get on a team, but like this is your career and everything's on the line versus, you know, I don't know. We speak to that. Like, do you think it's, it's different in a smaller city? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I well, there's in a smaller city, there's always that thing hanging over it, which is like, when is this person going to leave this town? Mm-hmm. Because 
I think it, I think Austin, New Orleans isn't there yet, but Austin right now is at a place where if you're the best comedian in Austin, that means something. Right. And so then the next thing is, well, what are you still doing here? And for some people, they don't want to live anywhere else. And that's cool. So they're mm-hmm. going to stay there and they're going to hold that title belt for as long as they can. Um, so I think it is challenging when you're in a smaller, a smaller city. Cause there's that, there's that, you know, there's always that thing hanging over you. When are you going to move? When are you going to move? To LA or New York or maybe Chicago. Right. And I mean, it's interesting cause I feel like I've heard, especially right now, Denver has a thriving scene and a lot of those, you know, guys and girls are choosing to stay much longer than they would because we're in this new, um, world where you can be seen and not have to be somewhere. Yeah. And you said that was the first thing you said, you have no intentions of ever leaving. No, I, and I, I love that. I'm, I'm so into these smaller scenes and like kind of like their scene captains and what that world is like for them. I think it's so cool. I, I, I love, I love being able to go to a city and, and being like, oh, I'm in, you know, I'm, I'm in, I'm in Denver. I'm going to email this person. I think it's, I think without that, it's, you know, touring would be so much more difficult. There would be far, there wouldn't be cool people running these, these indie festivals all over the country. And I love, I, I love whenever I get to be that person in New Orleans or Austin. I think it's very creatively satisfying. Yeah. And I think it's something that's, that's vital. It's vital in, in all these places. Absolutely. And I, I, you know, obviously the internet and technology has, has made everything somewhat accessible. And I, you know, the advent of the comedy nerd and the rise of, you know, people that are obsessed with comedy. Um, it's, it makes perfect sense that festivals and smaller scenes are becoming bigger scenes. And, uh, you know, New Orleans is the best city in the world, arguably, right? New Orleans is. Argue for that. Our, New Orleans is amazing. Have you heard of Mr. B's? I've been to Mr. B's. Yeah. I had a burger there once. A burger? Yeah. It's barbecue shrimp. Yeah, but I had a burger there, Jamie. Chris. I messed up. Someone bought it for me. Can you do me a favor (laughs) and record? You have to go there. Okay. I'll pay for it. Okay. I actually, I don't know what the prices are. You'll pay uh, for it. (laughs) But get the barbecue shrimp and you need to report back. Actually, for my other podcast, which I've spoken extensively about Mr. B's. (laughs) Um, Well, there's another door we didn't see opening. No, Mr. B. Mr. B. Where did the door open right now and Mr. B himself showed up? Mr. B, get in here. Flew him out from New Orleans just to say hello. All <laughs> right, let's get back on track. Back on track. So let's talk festivals. Yeah. Um, you run Hell Yes Fest. How long has that been going? Hell Yes Fest is on, uh, this is our fourth, fifth year. And we started in Austin. We took a break because uh, Moon Tower came. And so we kind of pressed pause on Hell Yes Fest to be a part of Moon Tower. But actually, actually, can I break some news yeah. on Gatekeeper? Yes. First we're, breaking news. We're bringing Hell Yes Fest back to Austin. So that's very exciting. And uh, I'm not gonna, the dates and info and lineup will be announced later on. But we are bringing Hell Yes Fest back to Austin. But Hell Yes Fest is kind of our comedy nerd dream festival. And we combined with a, uh, we joined up with a, a company called Hookah Entertainment that runs a bunch of giant outdoor festivals that are Bonnaroo-like. Mm-hmm. Uh, for anyone who's heard of Pemberton or Buku, they they run festivals like that. And so we joined up with them and they helped our lineup this year become pretty monstrous. And yeah, we're going to bring it to Austin next so year. So a second festival, so two a year. Two a year, yes. I also run an improv marathon every summer called the Megaphone Marathons. That's an entire week in Austin. And then the very next week in New Orleans. 
Uh, so it's 14 days straight. And you mentioned Moon Tower came in and they were, was it adversarial? Like they came in and... Oh no, it was very, it was very cool. So actually what, uh, the way that went down is we did Hell Yes Fest because because it's weird to say this now, but at the time, Austin didn't have a festival that hit everything. There's a really big improv festival, and but there, there's kind of like a mini stand-up festival that happens exclusively for locals called Funniest Person in Austin, which is a which is a pretty big deal. But there wasn't a festival that was that was improv, sketch, and stand-up headliners, all this. And so we did that in 2010, 11. And then a comedian friend of mine gave me a phone call and said, heads up, I just got an offer for this, uh, you know, because I don't like to say who it was, but some little, little behind the scenes gave me a little heads up that there was, gonna, there was a big festival coming to Austin. And, uh, and it was the same weekend that we were playing right. the Hell Yes Fest. Yeah. And then the very next day, I got a phone call from someone who works at Moon Tower that was like, hey, uh, Let's meet up. So I went and met up with them and they pretty much, it was very, it was very, very cool. I'm very grateful for this, but they basically were like, we're doing a giant festival and we want to do it the same time you're doing yours. How do you feel about not doing your festival, but you helping us with this one? And by the way, our festival is going to be gigantic. And I was just like 100%. Yes. Very grateful to have a seat at the moon tower table. So I booked all the improv and sketch for Moon Tower for the first two years. Mm -hmm. Since then, they wanted to do less and then eventually no improv and sketch. So I'm not booking for Moon Tower anymore, which is totally fine. I love I love Colleen. I love those people a lot. They're great. And uh, But now we're going to bring Hell Yes Fest back, a different time of year, sure. obviously. But try to have that kind of indie vibe, that party festival that has improv, sketch, and stand-up. I love it. And so as far as being a gatekeeper at the level of festival... You know, looking at the lineup for Hell Yes last year, I mean, Sarah Silverman and the list goes on and on. Um, how do you seek out the younger talent and any advice for anyone that wants to try to hit this festival circuit? Yeah, I yeah, for sure. I So we do submissions now, but we intentionally did not do submissions for the first couple of years because something that I've... I have a little bit of an issue with, I think, is is a festival that is brand new, that hasn't found its feet yet, doesn't know what it is, mm -hmm. and then asking for a lot of money to submit to their festival, knowing that they only have, they have limited spots available, but, you know, those submission fees are what is funding the festival, which I get, but I think it's tricky to say, you know, it's year one of this brand new festival, and we don't know what we're doing yet, but it costs $45 for right. you to be considered for this. And so we intentionally did not take submissions for the first couple of years. We booked it through, through people who came through new Orleans that we liked people. Uh, we, 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 when someone from the new movement would go on tour and they would meet people in different cities, they would, they would, it was all like recommendations. And I really thought that system was really cool. It kind of had a vibe of like, how do you get into this? Well, you have to have, you have to know one of those people. How do you know one of those people? You, you know, you go stop by New Orleans or Austin on tour, whatever. But then it got to a point where it was like, well, we do have a really cool festival here and I'm getting, I'm, I'm fielding tons and tons of emails about how to get in. And so then we just opened it up to see what would happen. And we got hammered with submissions. How, how many do you estimate? Like hundreds, thousands? We got, we got close to a thousand, um, this, uh, this, the first year we did that, which was way more than we thought. 
which is really cool. But we have a good, we, I think we have a good thing going. I think there, I think Hell Yes Fest looks really looks really fun, and also it's in New Orleans. Yeah, and people want to go to New Orleans, and because the days of comedians skipping New Orleans on their tour is gone, because you know before people would go from Atlanta to Houston and they would skip New Orleans or they hang out in New Orleans on their off day, but not do a show because New Orleans wasn't supporting comedy because they they weren't trained yet. But I think that that's changed now. Mm-hmm. And yes, so, so back to the festival point. So, so now we take submissions, but it's still really challenging because we only have so many, so many slots available. Do you go through a thousand submissions? One we by have one? a pretty big submission team. Our, our, um, I'm not sure other festivals do it, but our, our system is we, we, we kind of do the, like the asshole test where it's like, is this person like misogynistic, uh, racist, you know, all the bad things. Um, and, if they are, there's things and we just, I don't want my submission team to have to watch a bunch of those videos. So mm-hmm. if I can watch a hundred of them and clear out 30, that's less to work for the team later on, you know? Mm-hmm. So we, 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 we have a group of people that, that kind of, that's like that. And from there it's just, what do we think would make the coolest, the coolest group of people and, and making sure that the whole country is represented. And yeah. I love the asshole test. I mean, we have a different name for it. I don't know what it is, but be cool as fuck, I guess. Yeah, pretty uh, much. I mean, that really is what we do. Because the last thing I want is we do our submission teams. We do it. Everyone's in the room together and we all watch it. And then everyone just kind of blind votes. Um, and I don't want those people to have to watch someone who is absolutely not going to be in the festival. I want them to right. watch the people that are good enough, but do, are they the right fit for what we're trying to do? Well, there's the asshole test, which, you know, and we've all seen it, like, you know, launch into something out the gates you're like nope right. um and you see that you know especially in open mics and but um what are the other things you look for i mean i'm sure there's like you know a couple hundred comics that you're like oh i know who this person is they've come through and then there's you know it might not be the best tape but they're doing something cool in buffalo new york like what are, what are the other things to look for yeah i think that we do value a little bit more the 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 comic that is pretty good in Buffalo, I think we value them a little bit more than the than the comic who is uh, pretty good out of Chicago, mm-hmm. um, which, which, I mean, maybe is kind of borderline unfair. I don't want to penalize someone for being out of a big city, but if we already have ten comics from Chicago. I don't know. I might book this girl from Buffalo because yeah. because because you know I want to. I, I I feel like being a small city gatekeeper. I want to, I want to build relationships with the people who are doing that in other cities what and I want the, them to be able to meet people, you know, and the Buffalo scene pretty good. I feel uh, like you have to book a female from Buffalo at your next festival. I think if, if there's a female from Buffalo, that is, you know, it's funny, a female from Buffalo just moved to new Orleans. Really? You, you mentioned Buffalo. I kept going with it. I so I just, I, I mentioned that again because why did that city come into my brain? I don't know. I don't know either. I don't uh. know. Does 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 the B and Mr. B stand for Buffalo? It's all coming full circle. What if a buffalo walked through that door right now? And the owner of Mr. B's was on it. <laughs> Doing an air sex routine. Whoa. In a peanut. In a, in a nutshell. In a nutshell. nutshell. That was Damn it. it. I was trying to bring it all back. Ah. Trying to show you off my show you off my improv skills. Hey, you showed me off you. Yeah. Just fine. So you do all these things. Air sex. New movement. Hell yes. You were rapping. <laughs> I'm just reading down my list. 
There's a textbook maybe you wrote. <laughs> there is. We wrote an improv book. Tell me about that. We wrote a book called Improv Wins, me and Tammy Nelson. It kind of serves as the textbook for the new movement. It's on uh, it's on Amazon right now. We also give it out for free to every one of our level one students. But it just pretty much highlights the things that we think make improv tick. You know, it's we found there weren't uh, there's not a lot of great improv books out there. And and I, actually, there weren't a lot of improv books in general. I believe there is less than 50 improv books. If you search Amazon, of course, there's the heavy hitters. There's the, the UCB manuals. Sure. It's a pretty big one. Truth and comedy is the big is the big old school one. But it, there's not a lot of new stuff out there. And so, we said, hey, you know what? Let's shut it down during every holiday for two years. That's how I made it work. Because I, I was looking at my time, I was like, I don't know how we're going to pull this off. And so, for every holiday for two years, we just said we're not going to party. So Fourth of July, New Year's, Christmas, Thanksgiving, uh, we just were like, we're gonna bang out this book. That's exactly what I was getting to with, with how the hell do you manage your time between all these um, dealing with submissions for a festival where you're trying to run a theater while you're on the road performing, and how do you, how the hell do you do it? Well, I I'm a productivity nerd. Like I read a lot yes. about that stuff. I'm give us all the best books, everything you know. Sure, sure. I well, love this shit too. You know, a new thing I started doing is is Headspace. You know the the meditation app. Yeah, I'm a big fan of that. I did I you, also, you pay for it? I did. I, I do. I did the first ten free ones. Yeah, I guess I'm just cheap, but um, but you think it's worth it to to dive in? I dig pay. it. I didn't. I did not. I would not have guessed that I do, but I do. I do like it. I feel. I f- I feel. I feel good about that. I also. I also. I mean, this is a very easy one, but I think I think it's very challenging for a lot of people. I I also don't use Facebook for, for my news. You know, I think there's a little bitty things, ways you can cut, cut your, uh, cut time out of your day, you know, meaning to get your news or to tell people about what you're up to. I mean, I, I mean, I, I take from the well, I'm not, I mean, I'm putting stuff into it. I'm not taking a lot out of it. Mm -hmm. You know, I, uh, so maybe that's unfair, but, but I I mean, I use Twitter a lot. I mean, I, I, I still scroll through Twitter, but there's not very, very many other things that are time sucks for me. Right. Um, and so going back to headspace, so you meditate every day. Yeah, I do some meditation, which I feel, I, I feel weird saying that it's, it's still, it's very new to me. It's like, it's like a new, it's like a, I'm dating a new person almost. Mm-hmm. It's like, a, it's exciting. Uh, I'm feeling it. I feel, I feel like I'm more organized and, um, you know, and I also think about this stuff a lot, you know, like I, I don't want to go on vacation and turn my phone off for a week and not do comedy for a week. Like this is not by, my personality. So I am kind of a workhorse in that sense. I just really, really enjoy it. And I don't do things that take my mind off of it too often while also being like giving myself the gift of, of like going all in on things that do turn my brain off a little bit. Like, like for me, basketball is a big one. Like mm-hmm. I can lose myself in a, in a basketball game for two and a half hours. And I really enjoy that. And I, I, I cherish that, but it's, but, but I don't have too many of those things. You Pelicans? Know? Big Pelicans guy. Yeah. 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 They're the team. They are the team. They're the best named team in the league, by the way. It is the least formidable uh, animal. Do you think they're, well, the least, well, they they do exclusively eat living things Hmm. and they almost were extinct and they survived. Okay. So they're survivors. Yeah. Yeah. This is a door I didn't see opening. Yeah. Also check the Louisiana state flag. That pelican mama is hanging out with her pelican babies, and the pelican babies are so hungry that the mama pricks her own breast to feed them her blood. That's badass, Jamie. That's a deep cut in yeah. pelican lore. 
Yeah. Uh, I spent a lot of time in bars uh, justifying the Pelican's name. I come equipped. I, I love it. And so Anthony Davis, you're not having the best season, but he's leading the league in scoring. Mm-hmm. I'm just trying to impress you and our listeners. Uh, I know a thing or two about the NBA. Yeah. Hey, come to New Orleans sometime and I'll take you to a Pelican's game. Oh, I'm definitely going. We're going to Mr. B's. Mm-hmm. Pelican's game. Yep. And the new movement. And the new movement. And to see some jazz. Sure. Preservation Hall. Let's do it all. I love it. Do some comedy in Preservation Hall. Do they do comedy there? They do not. Someone should. You got to do that. I know. That's my dream. Yeah. Jazz and comedy is my favorite thing ever. Really? Yeah, yeah. Those are my two jams. <laughs> you belong You belong in New Orleans more often than you currently are. I, I, I dream about New Orleans. I, I was there in 2000, 2000 maybe? Yeah. Like right after college. And you haven't been there since then? No. And it was my favorite city by far. It was like so magical. And how can I get you to come to Hell Yes Fest? Book me. Okay. Yes. See how it's done, people? <laughs> Start a podcast, have people on, put them on the spot. You should come. I, I kind of put you, we, we, we put each other on the spot, kind of. I was, you know, that was a, that was a nice little tennis volley just now. I know. That ended with, the, with us both winning. I like to think that you won. Um, I, this might be pushing it, but we should get Vanessa, my comedy partner in, in, in performing and writing. We'll put on a phenomenal show with a jazz band. We'll get a local band. Let's do it. Maybe Preservation Hall. Let's do it. Oh my God, this is heaven, folks. This is how this is, this is how we do it, Jamie. I know this is how we do it. So become a gatekeeper. <laughs> is the match so more about productivity? So you're meditating. I mean, how do you juggle? I mean, there's got to be so many emails and. How do you, I guess, compartmentalize? Like, because you have these big projects that intersect but need devoted attention. Yeah. Well, I I have a lot of meetings, and we kind of I don't want to sound like a like a jerk, but we kind of don't 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 uh, glorify like fucking around during the meetings. It's like we don't like, don't do bits. Mm-hmm. We're not here to do bits. We're, we're a- all we're working at a comedy theater. But we're not doing bits while we're talking about how we have to book this corporate workshop or we or this festival's coming up. It's like, let's just keep this ball rolling. Um, I think that that would be a thing that many people who work with me would would say is a uh, is definitely a, a trademark of mine. I, you know, is is is, uh, is is trying to keep the train on the tracks, basically. Mm-hmm. So have a lot of meetings. Uh, also, the squad that we have at both theaters, I think, is really special. Like the amount of people that are that care, that work their ass off to make things go, are uh, is phenomenal. And and I give a ton of credit to to those people uh, who make who make things happen. How, you said you made some mistakes early on, and I, I don't think there's any getting around that when you start a new venture. Is there any that stand out that looking back over the last ten plus years, like? Oh my God, the first year we're doing this and now that's totally. Um, yeah, there, there's some embarrassing things like, like in the beginning when we would first, when we first book really big names coming through and I would try to shoehorn as many openers to be on the show as possible because it's like, Oh, Hannibal Burris is coming in and we're going to book this person on it. And this person is so excited. It's going to do so much for them. Why don't we book? Why don't we do that? Three times, right. four times, and eventually uh, a, a big comic was this. I, mean, I don't remember who it was exactly, but I remember them saying something to me that was like, "You got to stop booking so many people yeah. on these shows." And I was like, "Yeah, but 
they're, you know, they're so happy. And they were like, you got to stop doing that. And stuff like that. When I look back at old lineups, I'm like this, that was embarrassing. That was embarrassing. There was five openers on this show, stuff like that. I used to, I used to also be kind of, kind of, uh, short-sighted, uh, with, with trying to make variety shows happen with like improv sketch and stand up. I mean, I think if you do it the right way, it's, it's very, it's very charming. It's very, it's very cool. But just to put an improv group with a sketch group and a stand up there and just, and just say here, it's this show yeah, with yeah. these three people. I think uh, I can understand why some people before then were, could have been frustrated, but I was also at a, when I was started, first started booking and organizing things, I was very much in like in a mode that was like not afraid to fail and just kept, throwing stuff up there. And luckily none of the failures were so big that I stopped, but yeah, there was some embarrassing stuff like that for sure. Oh, I don't, I mean, I, that resonates with me. I remember yeah, booking 10 people on a show, not sending them a lineup or set times. Like, I guess you're doing 10 and then you'll be three hour epic long shows. Yeah. Um, but no, of course you learn. I mean, I think that's any, anyone in a position of, being a big time decision maker and a position of power would say, yeah, you have to, the fearlessness is key. Yeah, for sure. And and I try to reciprocate as much as that is possible right now. Cause I've also with varying degrees of success have, have just emailed people, you know, who don't know me at all and just said like, Hey, can I, can I be a part of the show in some way? Can I help in some way? And a lot of people just don't respond, but there's been some people that have been like, sure. What you got. And then, and you know, so, so, so whenever that happens to me right now in my current position, I'm, I'm always reading those emails. Like, cause one of the things that, that used to always drive me crazy was people just not replying to something to say, to say no, thank you or whatever, or just really short emails. So mm-hmm. I just kind of made a promise to myself to never, I don't want anyone to feel bad for reaching out to me, asking for a favor for anything. So even if it's a ridiculous thing, like, Something happened today, actually, where someone wrote me and said, I see that you're doing a show tonight at the satellite. Here's a tape of my one man show. Can I have 30 minutes? <laughs> and I was like, I was like, I love that you emailed me. But at the same time, like the, like the show already, the show I'm doing already exists. There's not an additional 30 minutes. And That's so funny. But, it, but, but it also, it didn't, it didn't, it didn't it didn't match up with what we were doing at all. But if it, if it did, and if it was less time and if the email was cool, I would consider it. And I would kind of be jacked to consider, I'd be like, this is exciting. Cause what if we become really great friends and what if and wow. I'm asked them for a favor later? So I'm always open to those things, but, but there is definitely a way for that to go wrong. Oh yeah. That, but that's so cool that you do try to get back to everybody. And I mean, we've talked about that a lot in this podcast because you know, it, and maybe it's different in LA at a big comedy club, but it's like hundreds and sometimes thousands. So it's really hard to get back to everyone. But I love that you would consider putting up the guy who's got a 30 minute one man show. I mean, it, it reminds me of advice I like to give is, you know, to do some research, um, kind of know what you're applying for and knowing that every show is different. And because it saves everyone a lot of time. I get emails all the time from someone like, hey, can I can I come to a set, you know, Thursday at eight? And yeah, I'm talking about sometimes comics that are great that I would love to book, but had they just done the gone to our website and seen, oh, we have you know Kevin Smith's doing a podcast, he, he could have saved us the time because he knows that's not going to be a good fit. Right, right, yeah, I totally agree with that. I I I have some embarrassing stuff that's happened in the past where like like 
being a small market comedian, I think that people, you are more likely to build up a resume that includes, like has opened for these famous people Mm -hmm. because if they come to your town and there's not a lot else going on, then there's a higher chance that you will get to be on that show. And then, so your resume kind of can, can get thick, even though it's kind of a mirage. Mm -hmm. Um, And then you use that resume to try to get a really big thing. And then the thing is too big for you because you're not ready for it yet. Mm -hmm. But you, but you sold it as, oh, I've opened for this person and this person. And so the person who booked it was like, sure, seems legit. And then it's like, I, over my head on this one, like there's been a few times where that kind of thing has happened. Oh yeah. Um, I see that all the time. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it does suck me in every time too. It's like, oh, you see these names and, and you forget that, you know, when they're going to these towns, like there's, there's part of a smaller pool. Yeah. That's actually to bring back the festival stuff. That's one of our indicators too with, with festivals and uh, maybe some good advice for anyone uh, who's looking to apply to festivals is, is your bio. I, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to merge many things we talked about into, into this. Perfect. Your if your bio is really jokey, if you're doing too many bits in your bio mm-hmm. without having earned it, I think that that's a, that, that can be a turnoff. But also if your bio, if you're basically saying book me on your festival because I performed with these five comedians, it's, it's, I, I, I think it's, I think there's better use of your time uh, mm-hmm. to, you know, you should do other things in that bio. Like tell us about things that you like and where you're from and what, you know, but uh yeah, so so we, we 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 try to lean towards people who who don't fill up their bio with just people they've worked with before. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, I I feel like a lot of young comics do that, where it's like you know, born in born in Chicago, grew up in Milwaukee, and has opened for Hannibal Burris three times. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that that is uh, not as not as cool of a bio as it could be. And I also I love rewriting my bio every time. Every time I have to submit a bio for something, I rewrite it mm-hmm. every time. That's one of my, uh, that's, that's one of my favorite things that I do is, uh, is just because, because I, there's been a few times where I just, I can't believe I forgot something Mm -hmm. like, oh my, I I just applied to this thing and I completely forgot about this. Like that air sex was on the cover of GQ. Um, I like shame on me for just copy and pasting my bio every time. So I just rewrite it every single time I've got, I've got it. I must have a thousand different bios floating around. So what other festival tips for someone? And I think it's important that is, is your performer and also a curator and producer. Yeah. So yeah, I'm actively like, I want to be on your festival and I want you to want to be on my festival too. So a couple other big things for us is if you don't go to the after party at the festival, I think the chances of you coming back are severely decreased. And uh, I mean, so I think you have to, if you're going to the festival, you have to throw down, you have to go to the party. You have to, uh, you have to tell, make, make sure you're telling the organizers. Thank you a lot. You know, you want to be sweet to them and go watch shows. I think it's very much a turnoff when you're at a festival and, and for anyone listening to this, who's been to hell yes fest or the megaphone marathons. And you think I'm talking about you. I know that in new Orleans, it's hard because new Orleans is an awesome city and everyone's like, you're in new Orleans for three days and you're like, I'm going to Bourbon Street one night. Yeah, I'll you know this the next night. I get that it's difficult, but I think it's communicating, just being open and being like, uh, "Thanks for having us." You know, we're gonna go hit up this. We're gonna go hit up the city tonight. Um, 
sorry to miss the after party. I think stuff like that kind of keeps you in good graces of the people who are working really hard to throw cool after parties, totally. stuff like that. And I think, I think that you want to play nice on social media as well. It's like, the day you submit your your application to this festival, maybe maybe follow them on Twitter and like their Facebook page and click the follow button on Instagram. Like, like play ball, play yeah. ball with them. Yeah, help out. I build the community aspect of it, and I like that. Play ball. Yeah, and I mean, and maybe there's another idea um, would be to have a annual softball tournament as part of the festival. Hey, we we. Kind of did that in, in Austin for the first time, I guess. Really? Yeah, we had like a little kickball thing. All right, kickball. Yeah. Um, I'm doing something that actually you might, you, you teach as an Im- improviser. I do. Kind of go for the joke. I mean, maybe don't go for the joke, but go for the funny. And it kills every time. It will kill a scene. So assuming we're in a scene, you've seen every time, this is actually a lesson to anyone listening. Every time I've gone for the joke, we've, we've stopped in our tracks. <laughs> and I'm doing that, and it was a conscious choice from the beginning uh-huh. to illustrate this point. You nailed it. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> Y'all can't see this, but we're all cheering right now in the studios. So, Chris Troop. Yes, sir. What's next? What's next? Well, we 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 started running a a big contest in New Orleans called Hell Yes Next. So it's a festival branded concept that is basically a mirror of of what happens in Austin for funniest person in Austin contest. That's a that's a big thing that we're going to start organizing for 2017. We did our first one this year. I think there are some challenges when it comes to establishing a first annual uh, stand up contest because they have very bad reputation mm-hmm. and v- many small scenes have a bad reputation for the person who attempted to start the stand up comedy contest, but. Coming from uh, all my time spent in Austin, that contest is so respected and so important to this. It's like it's like it's like a season mm-hmm. in Austin, and if you win that contest, it matters. And so I I thought I could you know learn from what they'd done there, and so we have a contest called Hell Yes Next, and you know of course there's some comedians that 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 hate it that that are like don't make us into a competition. There's some valid points there, and there's some comedians that are like this contest never existed and new Orleans has never had a contest before. We don't need one. It's like some valid points, but also we're at a point where it's like, we want the new Orleans scene. Like I said, in the beginning, we, we wanted to get to a point where it matters to be the, one of the best comedians coming from that city. And so we're developing this contest to, 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 to be that. And the, the, the most ideal person won our first year is this guy named Dane Fauché, who has just been, busting ass in new Orleans for so many years. Everyone loves Dane. He's just like, he's just a great dude, but he won their contest the first year. I have no idea who's going to win it next year. Uh, Dane got some really sweet headlining spots at hell. Yes. Fest because of the contest. And uh, so that's coming up. Uh, we just opened up a bar in our new Orleans theater, hopefully opening up a bar in Austin theater. Thank you. Is it as much of a nightmare to open a bar there as it might be in LA? It was a lot, but yeah. that, but that's one of the things too, that when we, we have a staff of people that, that people that are doing things that, in, that are in their skill set, that that's another productivity thing for me mm-hmm. is we, Delegating. we don't have people doing things that they, that they don't like doing. And the people at the top, of course, you have to do some things that you don't like doing. That's part of what that is being the boss or being the, one of the leaders, but, but all of our, all of our like staff members and people who are interns or, you know, we, People aren't doing things that they that they're not jazzed about doing. Mm-hmm. Um, so trying to open up a bar in Austin, 
trying to sell this TV show. We shot a whole season of the Air Sex Championships and got to keep hustling, trying to trying to do more shows, go to more festivals, see more things. You're such a positive ray of light. I'm trying, Jamie. I mean, I'm sure that's why you've gotten what you've gotten by being cool and nice, trying to create opportunities and getting your own opportunities out of that. Yeah. I mean, I'm not shy to ask people for favors. And also I'm super thrilled that no one's shy to ask me for favors either. Let's keep going. Let's have each other's backs and let's, uh, let's be, let's be sweet. Let's be sweet. I think that's the perfect thing to end on. And let's be cool as fuck. And what are the, you know, I mean, you've listened to every episode. Yeah. Work you probably know this on better. your craft. Yes. Um, be undeniable. That is one of them. Be cool as fuck. I'm missing one. What am I missing? Be a professional. Be professional. Ah, God damn it. God damn it. Well, I think you are all those things. And I think um, people are going to get a lot out of this conversation. I love it. And if anyone wants me to expand on anything, holler at me. I would love to talk to you. He'll answer your email. Do you want to give your email address? I will. I would love to. It's Chris true at gmail.com. And I'm T R E W. Uh, yeah, I, I would love to come to your festival and talk about these things. I've, I've started dabbling in like consulting is too stiff of a word, but I've been dabbling with like with kind of being on an advisory board on some festivals and some theaters. So, yeah, I, I would love to talk to you more about any of these things. And I hope that you apply to Hell Yes Fest. And if you don't get into Hell Yes Fest, I hope you take us up on our offer to just come whenever you want to do stuff. You're a good man. Yeah, let's You're do a it. sweet man. This has been Chris True. I'm Jamie Flam. He said all the things, but I'll say them one more time because it's what you need. Work on your, we'll say it together. Oh shit. Okay, let's do it. Work on your craft, craft endlessly. endlessly. Be, be a, a professional, professional, be undeniable, and be cool as fuck always. Gatekeeper. What a fun, fun, fun interview with Chris True that we just got through. That's not the best way to put it, that we just enjoyed. We didn't have to get through it. You could have turned it off. If you're still listening now, then and you feel like you got through it. Well, shame on you. You should have used your time more wisely. And to thank you for getting through it or listening to it, we have a bonus interview. It's a, it's a small interview with Lee Keeler. Lee Keeler is a excellent show producer. Uh, he also produces the Green Gravel Comedy Festival in Iowa. So it's a perfect tie-in with this episode with Chris talking about the independent comedy scenes in different cities. Lee is here to promote a great little book he's written for Devastator Press, which might sound familiar. We had the founders, Amanda Meadows and Jeffrey Golden, on the program on the 13th episode of the show. A lot of people say 13 is an unlucky number. I say it's a lucky number because that's the number episode in which we featured Devastator Press. And now, please welcome Lee Keeler to Gatekeeper. Gatekeeper. Gatekeeper exclusive. I'm sitting right now with a man named Lee Keeler. Yeah. Lee Keeler is here to promote a great book that he's written called Ryan Bartoski's Emotionally Relative Trading Card Guide. Before we dive into what this is and why you're on to promote it, Lee Keeler. Talk about some of the th- great things you've been doing in comedy. What have I been doing? Uh, thanks for having me on. You're first. Welcome. You have to do that, and I'm doing it. Uh, check that I, off your <laughs> list. <laughs> first thing, uh, the biggest thing uh, I've been doing uh, the last like five years, I've been uh, producing a show uh, at the Improv in Hollywood called uh, The Hour Power Hour. That started in the old lab, mm-hmm. 
and then it, it grew up uh, out of adolescence into the main stage. And if you're living in LA, you've probably seen one of the Hour of Power Hour posters that are expertly made. They look like fantastic old soul and hip hop flyers from New York in the 1970s, but they're all around town. I love you. walking up and down Fairfax or even up and down Vermont and seeing one of these in a window or on a on a uh, thing that the city a, puts on the sidewalk. An old lady? Yep. I put them on old ladies. Those flyers are made by Todd Alcott, who uh, he wrote the movie Ants. Oh, really? Yeah. Interesting. He's this like screenwriter. I think he co-wrote Enchanted. Really? Yeah. He's this like really brilliant playwright from New York. And, How do you uh, score him for your small show posters? He just makes flyer show posters. And I was like, do you want to do these? And he was like, yeah, I'd love to do it. So then- that's Did you know him when you asked him that? Um, I knew him through the Devastator people, which is why we're here today. So what I've been doing, I've been doing that show, and then I have another show called uh, Night Talk with Martin Starr, uh, and that is when uh, Martin is around. That's when that show is. is the next one, fella? next one is supposed to be March fourth at the uh, Steve Allen Theater, but we don't know. And that's, that's a talk show with with Martin Starr. It's a talk show with Martin Starr. Anything else people should know about it? Um, we have a live soul band. It's really good. Same with Power Hour. That's just kind of a thing. You have to have that. Yeah, but, I mean, that's cut straight from the flam thread. Thank you. Yeah, that's straight up from the fancy and enchanted days. So. You also produce the Green Gravel Comedy Festival. I do. I do. That's uh, in my home state of Iowa, and that's been cool. We're going to go into our fourth year in 2017, which is crazy. So well, uh, why? That's where you're from. That's where I'm from. I uh, If there was a while when I thought I was going to have to move back from L.A. to Iowa, a very real prospect. Still might happen someday. And so uh, I noticed there was just an incredible comedy scene that had been built uh, by uh, folks like Dan Upton in Des Moines and um, by uh, a lot of the people in Iowa City. They're amazing. And uh, they're badass. Eric Singe and uh, God. Guys, I got like three hours sleep last night. What okay, are you okay. apologizing for you're you're doing great. Well, thank you. The festival is awesome. Uh, we had Rachel Bloom last year. That was the first thing she did after she won a Golden Globe. So we were really uh, happy to have. She went from the Golden Globe to the Green Gravel. That's right. From Golden. What are you going to do now? I'm going to Iowa City in winter. Uh, so yeah, it's been a lot of stuff. So the festival and it's a lot of these shows. Uh, writing a book right now that we can't announce till April, but it's a it's a big one. Yeah, it's exciting. Yeah. And so, real quick about you know the festival too. I think to inspire gatekeeper fans, you know, I've known you for a while, and you just had this idea for this festival, and then you did it. Yeah, that's an incredible thing to do, especially remotely. Thank you. What would you say from year one to year four are the biggest takeaways that you can do to inspire someone? Um, similar <laughs> don't do it. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, Just, I'm like, I'm like, yeah, don't, don't, don't do it. I, um, I know the biggest thing right now I would just say is, uh, make sure that you're different. Make sure that you're standing out. Make sure like, uh, the, the reason part of why I did it was so that we could curate this, uh, with something that is not on any other festival. And I think that some festivals don't do that. I think they kind of look at who is great and hot and who can exchange what with, and that's really not our model. We, uh, 
We're not, I, I, we have people that are on other things, but uh, not rarely. We try to make sure we have something completely unique if we can. Like we had uh, the guys that made too many cooks come do a weird live show one year. And um, what are some other notable Jackie Cation, right? Um, Jackie Cation was the first year. Well, Eddie for, Pepitone? Eddie Pepitone. We had um, Kevin McDonald, Kids in the Hall. That was year one. That was really cool. And uh, he did like a kind of a weird stand up thing taught a workshop we had chris true came out and did air sex perfect which is uh i to my knowledge never happened in iowa city that was the first time it happened in iowa period uh and chris taught a great workshop uh we had oh god this animator named oh god sergio aragones no <laughs> um no. the guy that is family guy um, oh yeah seth mcfarland we had we had seth mcfarland uh, no, um, we didn't have Seth MacFarlane. We just, uh, we always tried to make sure we have some kind of animation aspect in addition to live comedy while having some kind of workshop that's free or like fairly priced. So there's some kind of education. The comedy scene in Iowa has just been incredible. Um, so we just wanted to add to that and bring attention to that. The people that, uh, have lived there and have been in the trend, like Mike Lucas, that's who I was trying to think of. Mike Lucas, uh, has just been doing this for years. Uh, there's another guy named Travis Bales. It's incredible. He's in Cedar Rapids. All these people have been building cellular scenes. So to do something, uh, that brings the state together on a wider scale has been very rewarding. So just try to make sure it's something that's rewarding and is unique. That's the biggest thing. That's really great advice. Speaking of rewarding and unique, tell us about your new publication, as previously mentioned, Ryan Bartoski's Emotionally Relative Trading Card Guide um, on Devastator Press, available now on Amazon. Available now on Amazon and at devastatorpress.com uh, backslash Bartoski. B-A-R-D. You were able to get that URL? <laughs> <laughs> we had to fight for that one, man. Uh, this uh, this was a this is a send-up of the uh, old Beckett Price Guides. Uh, when I was a kid and uh, before the internet period, uh, I was a baseball card collector, I think. And you were too, right? I was more in basketball. Basketball. Okay. So, Which also had a Beckett right. monthly publication. And they are a powerhouse now. They they pretty much run, they monopolize that entire industry. So Who were the, their competitors back in the day? Oh, um, just like chintzy ones. You know what I mean? There'd be like the Beckett guide and then there'd be one just called like baseball cards. Sure. <laughs> That's very generic. <laughs> baseball card prizes. Like I can't name. I mean, that's how good Beckett is, is that they brainwashed me. But these, this was really like the foremost publication when I was a kid. It was like a complete Bible. Uh, there, there was a time when I was so heavy into collecting, I would run home with these things and pour through them. My friends and I would uh, trade and or sell cards to each other based upon this thing. It was kind of like the, the Kelly Blue Book of. Oh, yeah. And going down and looking at the prices and. What, how much did they fluctuate? I'm trying to remember. Like, uh, it was like mint, near mint, uh, very fine. All right. Mint, near mint, excellent, very good, good, very fine, fine. But even like from a month, like between February like 91 and March 91, did someone have a big game and all of a sudden their cards <laughs> like, yeah, it was, um, that's what's really weird is it, I think a lot of the prices were based on championships and then rarity of the cards. Um, if you found out something was extremely rare, like we referenced the Billy Ripken fuckface card, sure, 
that was super rare. Uh, and FLIR tried to get rid of that as soon as they could or modify it to where even the modifications are worth money. Um, so stuff like that. It was, it was very much month to month. Uh, so they had the luxury of kind of just deciding what they thought was hot. That's what was crazy about that and the comics industry. At that How time. much did prices go up when, when the Don Russ factory went down in 88? Oh God. And they lost the all big those. Don Russ fire when their founder, Donald Russ showed up and was like, I want this back. And it was already owned by OPG and OPG was, you know, they're Canadian and they're like, no, eh? no. And then they, they had a huge fight, like the end of Frankenstein versus the Wolfman. Mm. Everything went down in flames. Sorry, well, I've I've learned, um, but not well enough, that whenever I go for a joke, things go up in flames. Yeah, just like the fictional world we've just created. Okay, continue. <laughs> well, this is its own tinderbox. It's super hot that way. I uh, I this was my chance to write this uh, from a character that I created called Ryan Bartoski. Uh, who, you know, possibly lives with his mom, or if he doesn't, he lives, like, next door to his mom or in her garage uh, so he can comfortably masturbate. And this is, um, yeah, just a really gross guy who rates the value of cards based on what he thinks they're worth, which is you what— You give us a couple of previews? A couple gems, yeah. Okay, so let's say uh, we're talking about said Billy Ripken fuckface card. Uh, that was put out by Fleer. It's worth $79. This card prominently features the word fuckface, which is what my Uncle Ron would call me when I lived with him. should probably uh, see what else we got here. Um. Wait, just, I mean, and for listeners that aren't, weren't baseball collectors in the 80s, that was a, a card where somewhat like, like a, a bat boy had like kind of inscribed that on the, the bat on, on a trading card photo deck. Yeah. Well, oh, there's a picture of it. Yeah, it's at the bottom of his baseball bat. And somehow this got to press. <laughs> yeah, they didn't catch it. And so in very, very Someone tiny letters, you can see the words fuckface. Okay, another card is um, Charizard Series 2, Pokemon Hollow Card, No Shadow, Tops 2000. You know, on eBay, this will go for like hundreds of dollars. But for Ryan, it's worth 15 Okay, you know what? Pokemon isn't cool anymore. Okay, so you're not cool. So Bartoski's not doing it for the money. No. Just whatever personal meaning. Yeah, it's whatever. He's willing to take a hit in the name of being, uh, uh, having an integrity. Yeah. Personal integrity. Yeah. And speaking of integrity, um, he's got an entire page devoted to uh, uh, the following. Uh, there's a player. These are all real. There's a player named Dick Pohl. <laughs> uh, that's worth $5,000. Name involves penis. There's Johnny Dick Shot. Uh, this that is one, true. This is true. This one's just an eight with a bunch of equal signs and a capital D. We all know that equals. Oh, in emoticon world. Emoticons. A yeah. big dick. Yeah. Yep. That's how advanced this book is. Uh, there's one in it. Another how one. Do you know, how do you put an, uh, how, now, how do you put an emoticon in a book, which is traditionally, traditionally used in uh, for digital formats? Um, you know, we decided that uh, we're the devastator. Fuck it. Devastator can do whatever it wants. I mean, that's kind of how indie press works. If we can't, <laughs> that would be great if I could just do a book that was nothing but emojis. And it was just like this terrible version of hieroglyphs. I think if J.J. Abrams did that, mm -hmm. uh, people would buy it. Like a lot of people would buy yeah. it and try to decode it. Yeah, like Westworld nerds. Well, this book looks great. And Thanks. I got one more real <laughs> okay, quick. Yeah, go did it. I ever show you this? Okay, when I was a kid, 
uh, there was a guy named Raleigh Fingers, and he, sure. he played for the Milwaukee Brewers, uh, and I think he started with the A's or something. He was I know he's with Oakland. Uh, so I wrote this poem uh, for Raleigh, okay, from Ryan's perspective. Oh, Raleigh, good guy. Mustache like a border collie. It's pretty tight, like hella tight, as the booty on Jane Polly. Dude, my face should be a place with curls that curve a plenty. Then I'd surf through any turf with 12 chicks, maybe 20. As a lad, I had it bad for slurpy baseball coins. Dropped the cash and hid my stash at Dad's house in Des Moines. I love it. Thank you. I think this is the first poetry reading on the Gatekeeper <laughs> podcast. Which I'm excited about. I think this is so great. And it's creative writing at its best. And I, what do you feel like the market is for this right now? The market is red hot for this, which is exactly why I did it. So I could make my millions as an author and quit my live producing that I love so much. I got to have a reason to get out. And I think Bartoski is it. So if you go to devastatorpress.com backslash Bartoski, B-A-R-T-O-S-K-I, you can get this uh, on print and digital. Digital is a little cheaper. And how did and this will be the last question? So make it good. Okay. Your answer that. All right. I'm just impressed that when anyone does anything in the world, let alone someone like you that produces uh, monthly live shows, produces an annual festival, also has a full time job, and um, had the time to to conceive of and execute on a print uh, creative writing book uh, in the character of Ryan Bartoski. How, when did you find the time and take us through every single step of how this got made and why it's in front of me right now? Uh, this goes back about a year and a half, two years. And most of the credit, the short answer is just strong editors. Jeffrey Golden and Amanda Meadows are very strong editors. Former guests of the podcast. Really? Yeah. I knew that. Very strong editors, uh, and they're very devoted to uh, each publication, the voice of each book, and developing it in stages in terms of multiple drafts, in terms of layout. Uh, and they, do they give you they give you deadlines? Yeah, That's great. yeah, they really are. Like you pitch it, and then they have a yearly meeting where all the pitches are chosen. I, I squeaked in with this one, uh, which I was very happy for because the last one was about. Uh, sad time in my life. So I'm glad to not be doing that book anymore. So this uh, was, yeah, this was awesome. You just pitched it and then you had to just take the time after work or between shows and put it together. There were a lot of things that didn't even make it into this book. Um, and you know, that's just how it goes. Sure. Yeah. So you have to murder your, your babies. So have an editor, have deadlines. Is that what you would ultimately say is how this got done? Yeah. Make sure you have an editor and you have, it helps that they have a distributor as well, like for the books that, that just is also a nice motivator for the back end. Um, I can't remember the name, of the distributor, but they have one. And then it, they, they put the, these books in uh, weird train stations and bookstores across the country. So we're lucky for that. Well, you heard it here first, folks. Ryan Bartok. I love now it's my new thing because I had a guest that had a book on in a recording last night. Of holding the book gives me confidence. I feel like I'm on, like I'm. There's a camera in front of me, and I'm showing them the book right now. <laughs> Ryan Bartos, I'm actually relative uh, card guide. Um, it's right here, folks. You can get it. I guess it's 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 late night style. Yeah, 
That's what they do on the. That's what it is. Yeah, and then it cuts to some little guy with an instrument, uh, and he's just quietly doing cocaine like through his butt or something. That's we're watching different shows, my friend. (laughs) Well, Lee Keeler, uh, where can people find you and learn about upcoming shows? Uh, you can find me at Lee Keeler at uh, Twitter. That's uh, basically just got updates on shows. If you're highly interested, then you can go to LeeKeeler.com. That's got a lot of background and uh, projects I've been working on and stuff that's coming up. Great. So that's check it out. Lee Keeler, a good man doing great things for comedy. Thank you for coming on. This Thank you for fun. having me, Flam Daddy. Appreciate mm-mm, it. Mm-mm. Good night. for a tune-up. And when I say tune-up, I mean a hand job. <laughs> and don't worry, I don't have any viruses. Hey, come on, get back here. Get back here. Uh, fuck you, I hate New Orleans. Stupid town. This is a bad town. <laughs>